Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Chris Roberts. Chris is award-winning, globally renowned CISO at Boom Supersonic. He is considered one of the world's foremost experts on counter-threat intelligence, also known as Dr. Dark Web. He has over 20 years experience working in enterprise, industrial, and government segments, addressing evolving security threats. He gained global attention in 2015 for demonstrating the risk to aviation that allowed attacks against flight control systems. He is routinely invited to speak at conferences and is a regular commentator on media. His ability to find holes in everything has helped companies, governments, and the public improve their safety over many years. He is highly sought after keynote speaker on many advisory boards where he and I first met and has had too many published works to list here, so search for all his works. He was recently awarded the Champion of Security Award for Inclusion at RSA 2023 Conference, which honors the security leaders who organize their teams to accommodate diversity, equity, and inclusion principles to the fullest degree. Chris, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'd forgotten about the RSA stuff. I'd um, That was A, pretty fantastic, and B, somewhat unexpected. I totally spaced on that one. That was, yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's nice to be here and hang out again. That's the fun part about it. We get to hang out again, which is kind of nice. Now, for those who don't know, your background is really interesting. So can, <laughs> can you walk people through kind of like your journey and how you got to your today? And if you want to go in detail oh. in 2015, you can, but if not, I understand. No, I'm going to be careful. So the irony of this whole thing is I'm actually sitting in the UK in the middle of Wiltshire and one's mother is sitting on the sofa just aside here. So one has to be very careful about what one says in front of one's mother. Otherwise, one is going to get a Christopher again. (laughs) And uh, let's just say, so to your point, it's been, I was creeping around this industry before it was a blasted industry. The same blasted thing with you. It's I first started messing with this stuff on like ZX80s and ZX81s, for goodness sakes, and boarding school for the short period of time I was there. Then I got yelled at 14 or 15 for doing the damn stuff. And then it went on from there, jumped out of airplanes and did some other, other silly things for a while. And then back into this industry, got yelled at again and then got kicked off to the US. Wow. Yeah. That, that is a pretty interesting journey. I just have to start off. I was going to wait a little bit while for this, but we talk about all the generative AI that's going on and how that's going to be affecting ransomware as a service. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? I know it's scary for me. What do you think? It's interesting. I did a, I actually did a talk on it. I think it got published yesterday. They, they did it as uh, a lot. Truth be told, we pre-recorded it 48 hours beforehand uh, because I was sitting on an airplane when they actually wanted to publish it live. And, and I wanted to do it because it's exactly your point. It's one heck of a set of conversations to have. But I took it in a different direction because you're right. It's When you, te- when you take a look at artificial intelligence, you've got the regular narrow stuff, you've got the general AI, and then to your point, you've got generative AI where you really start getting into the language of the linguistics and the human interaction with basically 
this entity that you can text and have an interesting, shall we say, conversation with. But I took it away from the tech and I said, let's go back to the humans. Let's go back to the fact, in, in basic terms, what we did is we took, we took artificial intelligence in its forms and for a long time, we'd held it very closely. We'd had it inside very controlled environments, government environments. We'd had it inside research institutes. Heck, we did a bunch of stuff with DARPA with the Grand Cyber Challenge years back. But we'd always been really careful with it. We pretty much, we put some decent, I wouldn't say controls around it, but we've been very careful on how we used it and then who had actually, who had access to it, especially the admin and the management and the data side of it. And then with this blasted chat, the chat side of the world, we literally just handed every single person on the internet a loaded hand grenade, pulled the pin out and said, ah, how about it? Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want. Good luck to that. And Google away to your heart's content. And we wonder why from humanity standpoint, that some people have held the grenade and Googled it effectively. Other people have been chucking the damn grenades at everybody else. And it's the genie's out of the bag. The horse has bolted, whatever flipping euphemism you want to use. And now you've got these people having a regret going, we probably shouldn't have let it loose. Or I really wasn't sure if I should have been involved in this project. I'm like, you muppet, you let it loose on humanity too late. It's out there. Deal with the consequences. What do you, what do you see in your world happening with the syndicates that are out there and mm. the nation states out there, do you see them using the, the generative AI that we see, like maybe using the plugins and things along those lines, those API calls, or do you see them using it in another fashion? Oh, all of the above and more. Do you take a look at some of the forks that have been taken off of that intelligent architecture and then they've taken their own data sets? And now you start taking a look at some of the amazing, uh, Canary Intel is probably one way of looking at it. You start taking a look at the disinformation and misinformation side of the world. So what people tend to forget is with any good, there's also the equal opportunity ability to do bad with it. And if you ever start using the chat GPT-4, they're putting more and more disclaimers in place. Hi, I am an, an AI system, but, but please be aware, I'm programmed by people. I'm like, yeah, who's people? And then you start taking a look at the data sets that it's being used to learn from. And we used to do adversarial intelligence, which is you teach it, here's a picture of something, and I teach it, here's the, an absolutely different thing that you're meant to be learning that it is. We did a talk a while ago about making pigs fly and how you show it millions of pictures of these things and go, this is a pig. But if you change literally about less than a couple of percent of them of the pixels, you turn it into an airplane. And, and I got a slide out, you know, through adversarial intelligence, we can make pigs fly. And you take that idea and that little bit of humor there and you start going, okay, how do I apply it to politics? How do I apply it to disinformation around just humans in general? And then the problem comes back to humanity, which is how do we very rapidly ask people to question more? How do we take it away from going, if I Google, do I like Trump or do I like Biden or do I like, pick your politician, pick your flavor, pitch whichever side you want. You get given the information that you've asked for, but potentially you don't necessarily get the stuff that's in that database. You, it's now how do people ask more questions and how do you learn what's truth, what's disinformation, what's FUD, what's handed over by a true intelligence system with disclaimers versus what I poisoned it with. Yeah, one of the things that happened here recently, and I talked to it on a live event that I did yesterday myself, is Chai. And a person was being able to interact with that's kind of like being able to be your friend. 
Mm-hmm. And the AI hallucinated and really broke it out. And what it did, it actually then told the person that their wife and their kids were dead. And that person subsequently killed themselves. They weren't in a good city as it was either. But having that being able to jump to be able to tap into an emotion and be able to elicit that, that's extremely dangerous. And I'm tying back into your human aspect. I'm always wondering about, too, is we've been using it for modeling for a long period of time. We use it for sims and different things along those lines. When is it yeah. can break out somehow? And then how do we know the events are the true events or hallucinate events, or are they hiding events? What do you see along those lines? Uh, unfortunately, quite a lot, especially I'm doing a bunch of work on the transportation side of the world. Everything from obviously prime work of Boob Supersonic is we're looking at the aviation side of things and that entire ecosphere. And so we're doing a lot of work there, but then you take a step back in the maritime industry done a bunch and still doing some stuff in the maritime industry and you start looking at data sets you start looking at where ships are what ships are doing if ships are moving same thing with airplanes and now i have to question that data no longer can i trust the data set that i have or i can't trust the model or the engine that i have or the system that i have i've got to have so many other checks and balances in place to validate and verify we always used to have to do that it was never as humans, especially you've done the same thing, you've come from the government space, you don't just trust that one source. You have a level of, let's just say, belief. And then you start going, okay, let me try to validate it. Let me try to break it. Let me try to try, try to run, I want to say a Turing test on, but it's not far off of it. Let me try to actually put some kind of scientific process around this to see whether it's valid or not. And eventually you come to a conclusion, that's us. We put a pretty rigorous test around these things. I can't expect most people in the street to do that. They're going to trust what they hear. And if that, if what they hear is a planes have ended up backing into mountains or we've lost more people at sea or a ship has turned upside down or whatever goes into the news, a perfect example will be the counter-intel stuff that's happening over in Ukraine at the moment. We hear one side from Zelensky, you hear one side from our friend over in Putin's side of the world, and you end up with this, who the hell do I trust? What the heck am I meant to believe? And it's okay, how many different sources do I have to pull in from? Because I, as a human being, as somebody who actually asks more questions, cannot trust the data that's coming out of maybe the sources. And it gets rough. It's um, that's us. I don't expect I don't expect my mother to have to ask the computer 10 different bloody questions to get one set of answers, but that's where we're going with this intelligent architecture. Yeah, it goes back to coming back to the human with the critical thinking and just because something comes out of a search engine or a chatbot or something similar along those lines does not mean it's necessarily the truth. I will tell you, I had a I went on a show two weeks ago and a person gave this bio and I'm like, and it was a live event. I'm like, no, I was never the VP of information security for the Girl Scouts of America. I've eaten thin mint cookies. (laughs) <laughs> but they had actually put in ChatGPT, and somehow it said that oh. I was a VP of Information Security oh. for the Girl Scouts of America. And there was just one of the many things. And I'm like, could I get those past paychecks? I would be fine. <laughs> and that's okay. So that was interesting. And this is where I get this is where, again, the new version of this out, we were messing around with version four for this talk I gave. And I'm asking it questions, as in, do you lie? And I'm asking all these questions. And what is interesting about, again, about the new version is those first couple of sentences, I'm an intelligent system, 
but I do this and this, and I have got data behind me, and I have got programmers. And then it goes into a couple of paragraphs of stuff. And those first two paragraphs are actually pretty accurate. Those next couple of paragraphs, you're like, where the heck is it pulling this from? And again, back to humans. They're going to look at it and they'll go, oh, that's great. I didn't know that, but maybe they were. And unless as a human, I speak up and I go, hey, actually, that isn't correct. And by the way, how do I correct that? What's my recourse for correcting anything on the internet these days? It used to be you couldn't exactly phone Google up, but you could at least put an error system in. Same thing with Wikipedia. You could put an error correction capability in or something like that. But nowadays, if ChatGPT is lying to you and you don't know it, or if you do realize it, what's your recourse on this one? 1-800-CHAT-GPT? Yeah, holy crap, Batman. <laughs> one of the things that we saw recently, too, just to name them, is when the lawyer went ahead and did his little briefing. And then it cited cases and all that stuff. And then he turned it all in. And the judge came back to him here in the United States and was like, there's no such cases whatsoever. They made up the, it made it up the cases. Yeah. They sounded feasible. But, but it's not allowed to make it up. What it's doing is it's pulling data sets and data sources from disparate systems. This is, you know, this from dealing with huge data sets. This is back to that garbage in, garbage out. This is not a data like it's pulling from. This is the data swap. This is who's, checks, who's doing checks and balances on that data that it's learning from. We get told that it's a set of programmers and developers and coders. Great. There aren't enough people out there to keep track on everything that's going on with ChatGPT. So now we get into this. How much is it learning from its own data? How much is it learning from? And then how is that model actually training itself and learning from itself and validating it? I, I'm interested to see. It's not quite turned into the shit show that was... Do you remember that debacle seven years ago when I think it was Google or Microsoft put up the, their own version of an intelligent system on Twitter? And I think within 24 hours, it got turned into this racist, bigoted, Hitler-loving system until it got pulled because they were like, whoops, that's not what we meant to happen. Welcome to humanity, people. Yeah, and some of us just start having fun with that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm a licensed pen tester absolutely. myself, but not on your scale. Absolutely. But don't I, tell me, like, there's no way you can... Don't ever say that. Don't say this is perfect because we will prove that it's not. No, right. I was re yeah. reading the other day about Chat GPT five, and they said Chat Ooh. GPT five coming out that it will be able to or already has in the modeling doing right now, basically digested all the information that's ever been created in humanity. I'm really wondering about the hallucinations and stuff like that that possibly come there just because you talked about swamp. What is that on swamp on steroids? And have you have you been able to digest all the information that was made by humanity? That would be well, so that so now let's take that in. Let's look at that from context. We know we've got the if we break the internet down so that everybody understands it, we have the open stuff. So the stuff you find on Google, just the open, clear web, regular internet of things. Not into internet, it's all over the place. Then you've got the stuff that's typically behind like paywalls, register walls, and that's everything from your regular library to all the stuff that's sitting behind like individual people's systems. Then obviously you've got the darker stuff. And so the question then becomes, and that stuff is spread all over the place. You've got the regular good old Tor and Onion, but then you've got 15 different flavors of that, let alone the IRC, IQ, 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 and all the other stuff on that one. So my question is, where is it learning from? Is it learning purely from the open web? And what did you do? Did you just pipe it at Wikipedia and Facebook and um, give it a feed? And then how much, again, how often is it learning that? Because 
having built a couple of these engines over the years, that takes a ridiculous amount of compute, like an absolutely astronomical amount of compute, not just to learn it, but to crawl everything to learn it and then cross-reference with it and then also start building relationships. You build a data set, that data set is absolutely useless unless you build a relationship between those two disparate pieces of data. Is it a strong relationship with their correlatory effects? Is it a weak relationship? Is it purely a subset of a relationship because somebody abstractly knows the third cousin on this side of the family tree, therefore whatever? Or are they actually just like this? So that question then becomes in a data money and a data standpoint, who built that engine? And then how often is somebody re-looking and re-refreshing and understanding those data sets? And I'd argue it ain't where it needs to be. No, because you know, the right to be forgotten isn't the right to be forgotten. <laughs> My friend Luck. Dr. Ann Kabukian. I wish it was we could opt in, not opt out. But to your earlier point, how who is correcting the data and to which bot area, for lack of a better term, is it being corrected? Because they don't correlate per se against each other. So how do you get if you do inject corporate data or customer data or privacy data or pre-SEC filing data in, yeah. into the system? So I was telling people, it's like they're not private. There's nothing private about them. How do you go ahead and do? How do you sanitize that data back? Don't. We had this conversation inside Boom. We're not blocking because we know blocking tactics very rarely actually work. People find ways around it. So what we're doing is educating back to that human conversation again. And we've had the conversation with everybody inside Boom to say, look, if you want to know who killed Kennedy or who's got the recipe for Chick Fil A or any of that stuff, feel free to ask. Chat GPT that please go ahead, enjoy yourself, have at it. But if you're working on, let's say, fluid modeling for supersonic travel on a front end of a wing, do me a favor, don't ask Chat GPT anything about that. Because one, again, once it's out there, it's out there. You ain't pulling that back. We saw that one. Gosh, who was it? There was something that was in the news. It was another, unfortunately, it was another military leak. It's a couple of weeks ago. And it was something got put up and it got pulled down like stupid quickly, but not before it had been reshared like ridiculous amounts of times. We're talking minutes. So, yeah, you type it on a computer, the chances are it's going to end up on the Internet somewhere at some point in time. Yeah, right now, the statistics say, and I think they're understated, that 7 to 10 percent of corporate information is going out into generative AI Right now, I think that's probably understated because the other thing is, even I, if you're watching people on their computer at work, yeah. are they pulling it out and doing it on their phone? Are they doing it in some other place that you're not watching? Because you can't watch every single system that someone is attempting to touch. No, you can put controls in place, and we've got the standard stuff in place, and some data leakage and some other interesting stuff. To your point, though, I, I'm we're humans, we find ways around things, we still want to do stuff. This iPad is sitting here. I'm sitting at my mother's table, but I can still get to work on it. Now, do I have to go through certain browsers and settings and multi-factor authentication of VPNs? Absolutely. But that's because I'm the CISO there and I'm a little more fanatical, shall we say, is trying to put stuff in place to make sure. But for the most part, I see way too many companies who are like, yeah, here it is. Go on, have at it. And I'm like, oh, that's just all going to end in tears. And as we expand a little bit on that, I had spoken yeah. to a couple of CEOs and they said, yes, we have training in place. We've actually adopted an acceptable use 
for using AI intelligence generative AI. But you know what? I just go run the proxy and do whatever I want to. So <laughs> I tell people you have to be walking the walk and showing by example, making it part of your fiber of the culture. And it's like you said, it starts with humans. Yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's I, I hate the training for the sake of training. If you Check are the box. Looking, uh, <laughs> flipping true, I, we talked about this just beforehand. Let's face it. It's if the mentality is check the box and you do your quarterly training or your annual training, congratulations. You literally have uh, put the tick in the box. But if you're actually going to do it properly, you've got a channel set up on Slack. You've got a monthly training awareness stuff. Your people are bought in. They are actually telling you when the scammers hit them and you get screenshots of the stuff. And you reward, you say thank you, you give out gift cards, all this stuff. That's doing it properly. That's actually when you and the teams are in it. Now you're still going to have rubber. You still, stuff's still going to happen, which is why you have training, which is why you have incident response procedures, which is where you have monitoring, and which is why you have tabletop exercises to go, hey, somebody clicked on stuff. It's life. What do we do now? And so, again, so many organizations just are not at that point. And that doesn't take much. That's not serious maturity. That just means you got to put your hand up and take ownership. I think one of the best compliments I ever got back on, on doing training and talking, and it's ability is a person went in and they said, I want to let you know, I was going to do something at home. And then immediately I stopped because it says, what would Rebecca do? Yeah. She would not do it this way. And so yeah. I didn't. I'm like, what would yeah. Rebecca do? She told us to do this. And they applied it at home. That's yeah. what it is. You need to make it a 24 our a day culture inside work outside work and that's how i think you can make things a lot more effective plus it's a better ripple effect human wise because that can be generational effects on someone's life especially if it hits their finances or something like that it's just so we use and i'll name names because they're good folks and gabrielle's bloody good at what he does we use wiser training and the nice thing about it is from a company and employee standpoint folks can actually send training to friends they can actually send it to friends, family. They can send it to whoever they want. They can send it to their kids at home. If they do training in the office and they're like, hey, I like this one, we fully allow, as does the platform, for people to actually send it to their friends and family. So at which point, exactly your side, we make it so that we'll talk about kids, we'll talk about just clicking stuff, we'll talk about home finances, we'll talk about dating. It's done deliberately that way so that you can share it. There's a button right there, share this with, and you just put an email. There's no cost to it. Gabrielle's just, hey, I want people to learn. I'm like, yes. So exactly to your point, if I help you, I help your family, I help the kids, I help the parents, I help the grandparents, the chances are it's going to rub off on you at work as well. That's how it should be done. One of the things that, that we see quite a bit today is the resiliency and the frustration and the quick exit of a lot of CISOs. I think part of it is just because mm. a lot of us have gotten burned out and a lot of us <laughs> obviously gotten beaten up. Yeah. Really so, so how do you, how would you suggest that people work effectively with the board when we're talking about all these emerging technologies, we have generative AI. Yeah. How would you suggest that we work effectively and trying to handle this? Cause like you said, us trying to do it on ourselves, being able to police this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we don't have the resiliency anymore. I, I, we don't have the resiliency. We don't have, I don't think we have the patience anymore either. And I think it's also, to me, it's, it's a number of different things. 
first and foremost, we as an industry are not good to ourselves. We have a fight with an adversary on a minute-by-minute basis that we don't do a good job of articulating to the board, let alone our peers and our groups. We also have an internal fight with every single vendor, partner, and supplier that wants to sell us their solution that tells us this is the best thing since sliced bread, and how dare we not answer their emails, texts, phone calls, messages, impolite knocks at the door, and chasing around conferences. And yet we're also still fighting a population that we haven't done a very good job of educating, and somewhat our fault, and somewhat the fact that we've not effectively partnered up with the people team or the HR team. We haven't managed to get our message across to finance effectively, or they haven't listened. And the same thing with everybody in our peers. So it's a rough, it's a rough deal. And I think the other challenge is you've typically got a couple of different types of CISOs. You have the one that's just going to go in there and buy whatever the newest, shiniest object is because the chances are they won't get fired for a year or two while they try to install it. They'll get a pat on the back because the board recognizes the name from all the newspapers and they'll be happy, but it won't go in properly and it sure as hell doesn't do everything it says on the box. So you've got that one. And they change it every couple of years, so who cares? You have the CISOs coming into this world who are saying more finance and more business savvy, which is actually not a bad thing. Those understand and know the language, but they don't necessarily know the technology or don't have the necessary connections in the industry to to really talk with their peer group and go, hey, I'm looking at, let's say, Endpoint. Give me the ones that are crap. Give me the ones that are good. Give me the new ones emerging and help me understand it. And then you get those of us that have just come up, bootstrapped the whole way up, the whole darn thing, that are able to go in, are able to affect change, but quite honestly are running out of patience. Not necessarily with the business or with anything else, but we're just running out of patience because we haven't done work-life balance properly, because we have worked stupid hours, because we don't take care of ourselves, because we're trying to do everything with little, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we haven't balanced ourselves efficiently. And I'm definitely, I'll put my hand up and admit to that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having some of the challenges I'm having nowadays. I think one of the challenges too is companies don't know what type. So, so you, like you said, you do have people who yeah. are 100% strategic, but they, a lot of them don't have any technical chops. And I don't, yes. I think it's better to have a hybrid. But I've gone into another situations where it's just like, I literally just signed the HR paper and you want me to get tactical. Tactical is putting like bubble gum holding a, a hole in a dike. It's not fixing yeah. the, the ground issue. And a lot of them don't want you to get to the root cause, especially if they're venture capital or private equity. A lot of times, oh, we'll just do another funding round and we'll just get money. Yeah. So just throw a solution at it. And I'm like throwing a hardware or software solution at it doesn't always get to the root cause and what's causing it holistically. Do you see that yeah. as well? Oh, very. Yeah, I wouldn't say daily, but way too often and you hit the nail on the head which is there are so many organizations in the security space which are immature to a point where they are on a round of funding or two or three or four and they just want something to work exactly to your point there's don't give me a solution just give me that band-aid and it's a band-aid on top of a band-aid on top of a band-aid and all of a sudden you're like hey you're six band-aids deep in this we're ripping this shit off and they do not want to hear that. And unfortunately, 
I, you've run into this. I've run into this. You have two options. Either you just go put another Band-Aid on it, or you go, hey, I'm going to rip it off and fire me or deal with it. Take your pick. And it's not a good end game sometimes. Now, sometimes I think if one of the mandates from private equity or venture capital is a, a statement of true posture from the CISO memo every quarter. I think that would be helpful for us um, because that would be a little bit more the reality because just because someone has a SOC 2 or, or high trust oh, or PCI or an ISO yeah. doesn't mean that that's in the day-to-day operational culture and fabric of the work. You know, yeah, unfortunately, y'all be screwed is probably not a good measure of, of really reality, but it's where it probably needs to be said sometimes. I, I have actually found it, and I will give Boom credit here. When I walked into the organization, first and foremost, the relationship with the CIO is actually ridiculously collaborative. I'm overly thankful for that one. And then the relationship with the board of directors is also now very collaborative. And what I like about it is I walked in there and the first conversation was, if I tell you I'm going to fix everything and make you secure, you better find me right now. I'm coming in with reality and this is exactly where we are. Here's the stake in the ground, at which point they were like, okay, what are we going to do about it? I'm like, we're actually going to use this cybersecurity framework. We're going to keep it simple. We have to be beholden to other things and those are fine. I deal with that behind the scenes. But for everybody here and for the organization, we're going to hold us to because I can baseline the metrics. I can help you understand what maturity looks like. We can talk about the roadmap. I can help you say, hey, if we're going to affect change on, say, endpoints, we move from this to this on a maturity scale and we move it across just not just protect, but detect and respond. And it's a real nice, simple, here's a building block. And that's literally what it is. It's talking to the board about as we do this and as we invest this money and this time, here are the building blocks and here's how you affect change. And that's been really good to, to define progress, to define basically a three-year roadmap in a very simple, both tactical and strategic way, but also tied back to business goals and company goals. It's It took some work, and I'm stupidly happy that the board was like, make it, and off we go from there, which has been great. And again, I'm in one of those good places to some degree where I'm the CIO and I are ridiculously effective together, as well as our design and engineering teams it's the finance stuff has got to be worked with. We're getting there. We'll see where we are on some of that. It's as in anything, it's a challenge, but we'll see. Yeah, it's uh, it's taken some work, but I'm glad to actually be in that position where we can affect change and demonstrate it too. Chris, our time has run short. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you for doing keynote speaking, maybe any advisory services, and to learn more about your company? Oh, I think, well, boom's easy. We're on the internet. Me, I'm fairly easy. Let's face it, I'm on the internet. I'm pretty easy to Google and find. And I'm easy. I'm fine. The easiest place, honestly, to find me is LinkedIn or at, to your point, at a Blasty conference. I'm in the UK. I'm actually heading up to B-Sides Leeds and doing that one. And then I'm off to Israel for Cyber Week. So I get to see friends, family, and a whole bunch of crazy people in Israel for almost a week, which has to be a huge amount of fun. Yeah, I'm easy to find. Or, hey, get them to get hold of you and get hold of me. We'll figure that out. That'd be fun one, too. I get to come hang out with you for a bit more. Absolutely. Well, Chris, <laughs> thank you for being on the show. You are thank a you. soulful CXO. Thank you for having me. Honored. <laughs>